I mean, I do have patients that they say, you know, I just love pizza. And, I, and, and, and when they've got heart failure and when sodium's an issue for them, and I guess I said, well, you know, to be perfectly honest, you're gonna love it to death. And so there really is that mind-body connection and your body will listen to your mind, you know, sometimes against, you know, your better judgment. All right, thank you everybody for joining us for the Run the Race podcast. You know, we talk about fitness and faith on here. We're so excited. The weather's finally turning towards fall, kind of football type weather. Um, I'm actually headed soon after we record this conversation uh, to the uh, Georgia football game to Athens to see my son, to see the number one dogs play. Hopefully they'll stay undefeated. And, um, you know, we, we like to talk about things like heart and champions here on this uh, this platform here. And we've got both for you today. We've got uh, a guy named Champion, Dr. Hunter Champion, and he talks a lot about the heart. I'll give you a little background on him. He's definitely an expert as we're going to talk a lot about how exercise impacts your heart and maybe in good ways, bad ways, and what to look out for no matter what age you are. He was born just down the road in Opelika, Alabama. He is an Auburn fan, but also roots for other SEC teams. He was raised in Thomasville, Georgia, received his BS in biological science from Emory University, his MD and PhD in cardiovascular pharmacology from Tulane University. Uh, Ended up uh, teaching at Johns Hopkins, teaching at the University of Pittsburgh. And then about 10 years ago, Dr. Champion and his family moved here to Columbus, Georgia, back home to warmer weather to join Southeast Cardiology. Dr. Champion is the only heart failure trained specialist and only pulmonary hypertension trained specialist in the entire Chattahoochee Valley, this area that we live in, in Georgia and East Alabama. And uh, he brings unique and highly specialized diagnostic and treatment options to patients with these conditions. He treats patients with hypertension, coronary artery disease, heart rhythm issues, and a vascular disease. And so without further ado, uh, Dr. Hunter Champion, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I know my niece, Jamie, used mm-hmm. to work uh, for you and with you. She's moved up with her new husband up to Atlanta. I know you miss her, I'm sure. Yeah. We really do, but we're still hoping that there's going to be an opportunity for her to come back at some point down the road. I told her she's always got a, got a spot with us if uh, if, if uh, fate does bring her back down toward us. Yeah, I wanted to give her a shout out there. So, Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, you know, Dr. Champion, you know, a lot of folks want to know, you know, um, Obviously, you know, no matter what the time of the year, people are always like, okay, I need to lose some weight Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go exercise or I'm going to eat better, whatever Mm -hmm. else. But, um, you know, exercise gets has some pros and cons to it, Mm -hmm. Uh, no matter what you do, if you're going to the gym, going running, playing tennis, whatever else it is. So just kind of in layman's terms, how does exercise uh, impact the heart from you know a medical perspective as well. Absolutely, you know it's really funny because we all know that exercise is good, right? We still do not know really wh- how exercise truly impacts the heart in terms of mechanisms and that type of thing. Um, we actually did experiments when I was at Johns Hopkins where we would have mice that we would teach to, to swim, and they mice and rats are actually pretty good swimmers. And we would give one group of them heart failure. We would we would have them uh, we would ban their aorta and would make their hearts get really thick and then become baggy and, and weak and we would teach some to swim and the other group we would actually give medication that would increase their heart rate to the same amount that it would be when they were exercising and keep their blood pressure the same. The ones who exercised did better and lived longer. So it's not just a matter of heart rate and and that type of thing. There is some connection between large body, large, large muscles in the body and the heart itself that are beneficial and we often talk about you know, the, the athlete's heart. You know, Lance Armstrong's heart is actually quite thick, especially mm. when he was in peak competition, but it's a good thickness. 
So there's adaptive and, and good beneficial thickness, what we call the athlete's heart, and then there's maladaptive or, or uh, thickness that can, be, can impair you. And so that is usually the type of thickness that you get from high blood pressure and that type of thing. But, you know, kind of going to your to original point about, you know, time of year and talk about, you know, I want to lose weight. I want to, you know, that kind of thing. That's usually most people's kind of goal. And uh, I, I kind of tell patients, I said, listen, I really more celebrate the process. If you do the things that you need to do, eat right and exercise, then everything else should kind of fall into place, right? And and not focus as much on weight. I think we put way too much focus on weight. Um, when I first moved here, I, I lost about uh, 12% body fat and picked up about 23 pounds of mu- of actual muscle. My weight stayed exactly the same the entire time. And I got so upset when I wouldn't see, when I couldn't see the the weight the scale go below 200. And I get really upset about that, but then I, my clothes are fitting better. I'm a size down on my jacket size and things like that. So it we kind of get too fixated on the weight part of th- part of things, but but really it's more celebrate the process, get out there and do things. If weight loss is your goal, I can tell you from personal experience that if anyone ever tells you that you can do it with just diet or just exercise, they're both lying to you. You, you, you really, you really have to do both. Yeah. And muscle weighs more than fat. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, so sometimes if you do like a ton of cardio mm-hmm. and you're running a lot mm-hmm. or elliptical mm-hmm. and maybe you lose some of that muscle mass, mm-hmm. right, as right. well in the process. Absolutely. Um, and so tell me about in terms of, you know, uh, the, the exercise mm-hmm. and, and affecting the heart. Um, is there, it, can it go too far? Because, you know, lately, mm-hmm. uh, in the last few years, and it seems like we're seeing it more, maybe we're just hearing about it more, DeMar Hamlin. Yes. Uh, on the football field, yes. uh, at the end of the last NFL season, just collapsing mm-hmm. and almost dying there on the field. You've heard about basketball players, right. even high schoolers, right. uh, collapsing and dying mm-hmm. on the court mm-hmm. or in the hospital right after. Mm-hmm. So um, are there dangers to look out for, uh, especially if you're pushing yourself to the extreme? So, so bring up a great point. I think there's there's a couple of things there. A lot of a lot of times when we see young young kids or high school or college kids, especially basketball seems to be the big one in terms of sudden collapse and that type of thing. Many of them have something called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a thickness of the heart that was totally unrecognized by anyone. And, and, and you know, it's hard to pick up sometimes. Um, we usually, in, when we were in Pittsburgh, we would do screening EKGs, but then we would also do echoes on students. We actually picked up a few, pay, a few people that had this hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Hmm. And that predisposes you to have sudden cardiac death and that type of thing. So I'm a big believer in having, you know, get essentially get good sports clearance, especially if there's a family history of any heart problems. Really monitor your activity and that type of thing. Um, but we are seeing we are seeing people push themselves. Um, you know, in the, in the short term, I think the key thing is, you know, you do your exercise. I'm also a big believer in both cardio and weight training. I think that's really really important to do. Um, I actually uh, I, I've actually kind of gotten into the rowing machine. And I love that just because it's less boring than I think some of the other cardio is. And it's easier on the joints and, and that kind of thing. But really, I prefer to just do weights. So I run around doing the speed, doing speed weights. I'll do bench press. And then while I'm resting from that set, I'll go straight and do legs. And my heart rate stays about 120, 125 the entire time. So I find for me that that self, it's almost kind of like, Cardio, but not as boring, and so um, and so so that. But but people also n- must remember too, resistance training is one of the best things to keep bones strong. So especially in our older patients, postmenopausal women, especially men, um, as we age, our bones get get more brittle. And so resistance training is, is yes, vitamin D and calcium are important, but 
that's actually the next best thing you can do to try to strengthen your bones and keep strong. Yeah, and we hear about some of this stuff with professional athletes mm -hmm. or maybe some high school football mm -hmm. or basketball players. But for the amateur athlete, maybe folks mm -hmm. that are listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. you know, are there some red flags to look out for if you're running, where maybe you're running long distance or you're running really fast, mm -hmm. or you're like, you know, maybe you start to feel something when you're lifting, you know, 200, 300 pounds. What are some things to look out for that are like the danger zone? Because you want to push yourself, sure, but, but absolutely. not overdo it. Absolutely. So I think the key thing is is really kind of in your mind having your own kind of barriers. I think what we see a lot of, and what's really interesting, one of the data from one of my colleagues in Australia, we found that elite athletes, particularly long distance runners, marathon runners, people who've run their whole life, they're actually more prone to getting atrial fibrillation down the road. And what he found in his MRI studies is that for whatever reason, those patients develop a little bit of extra scarring in the atrium. And so they're more prone to developing atrial fibrillation. So certainly arrhythmias are things that we watch for very closely. I think, um, you know, obviously you watch for hydration and, and those kind of things and, and make sure that you, you have that side of things, you know, um, uh, taken care of. But certainly if you start noticing rapid heartbeat that you're not coming down like you should in terms of your, your heart rate coming down, you know, normally with a well-conditioned heart, our heart rate should go up slowly, come down slowly. Resting heart rate generally is going to be low in, a, in a, an elite athlete or you know, an amateur athlete that's in, that's in pretty good shape. Um, so if you start feeling fast heart rate that seems to be inappropriate, that might be a reason to get a monitor um, for us to look. You know, we've been very, very fortunate with these new Apple Watches and things like that that have been able to, to detect, detect AFib. And, and that type of thing. And atrial fibrillation is something that's incredibly common. You know, if I said atrial fibrillation in my in my in my uh, in my sanctuary, I'd have half the people either have it or have had it, or the other half have a first degree relative or, or a good friend that have had it. And so it's incredibly common. But atrial fibrillation does put people at a high risk for having a stroke. And so that's why it's important to kind of. Li I think the key take home message though is listen to your body, and especially if you start noticing that it's anything out of the norm. You know. Fortunately, as you mentioned, as we're getting cooler now, it's a little bit easier. We're not having to work necessarily worry too much about heat exhaustion and heat stroke, but we see it. I mean, I take care of a lot of uh, a lot of young men from from Fort Moore who um, who've been out doing PT and and who come in with heat stroke or or an arrhythmia or a syncopal event, passing out uh, in the in the setting of high heat and high exertion. Yeah, and if you're not keeping track of that heart rate mm -hmm. uh, with a monitor or a watch or something like that. Um, are there certain things in terms of like shortness of breath or, yep. or certain things that are the, the, the red line? Absolutely. So for me, it's shortness of breath, dizziness, um, certainly kind of feeling lightheaded. It doesn't have to be spinning. You know, spinning is more of a vertigo type of thing, but, but like feeling lightheaded, dizziness. You know, if you start noticing you, that you're kind of like the, you know, we always laugh about the one-legged duck, you know, swimming in the circle. If you're someone that seems you're kind of like having to constantly bring yourself back over to, the, to, the, to your course or to your area in the lane, uh, that type of thing, those are red flags. Um, those are certainly red flags. And that would then, you know, makes good sense to pause, check your own, if you don't have a monitor, check your own pulse, how many beats in six seconds, multiply that by 10, that's your heart rate and that type of thing. And, and you know, when in doubt, it never hurts to take a break. I mean, I think, I think that's the, that's the key thing. Uh, you know, I have older patients who couldn't walk from here to that door without getting short of breath. And, you know, people get it in their mindset that if they can't do 30 minutes, you know, that there's not doing them any good. And I say, no, you go back and forth from that door as many times during the day as you can. And eventually you'll go out the door and then you'll start doing it. I've got patients who, who now are doing two miles a day that couldn't do across the room at one time. Wow. So take it easy. Listen to your body. I mean, because exactly. there's no, no rush. But right. we got, you got, you know, a ways to get there. Exactly. Um, and, and speaking of those, that technology, you know, Apple watches, Garmin mm -hmm. watches, the, the 
chest straps. Yes. Uh, how, as a as a heart expert, how mm. accurate are those in terms of the true heart rate and, and those numbers? I always joke they're close enough for government work. You know, I mean, you know, when when I when I had my relationship with the Steelers and with the Penguins, I mean, you were dealing with very high end technology where essentially they were, you know, they wanted to be within two beats, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But really, they're they're actually quite good. At, you know, to be honest, they're they're actually quite good. There's another device called the Cardia device with a K. You may see the commercials on TV. I have no interest in the in, in the company, um, but uh, but it's a device that you know they have a credit card type of thing that you can pull out. It's actually the size of a credit card. You put your thumbs on it, and it will give you a essentially a, a good quality ECG that you can actually have emailed to me. And so um, and so it's the technology has really gotten amazing. Well, now, so you worked with the, uh, the, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates mm-hmm. and the Pittsburgh Penguins, the hockey mm-hmm. team there. Do you work with any teams here locally or college or not, not Braves? Lo- right, not, not, lo- <laughs> not locally. I did have a good relationship with the teams in, in, uh, in Pittsburgh and in Baltimore um, and, uh, and that time. I think, in fact, actually Ben Roethlisberger married one of my nurse practitioners. So, uh, so we had, had a good relationship there. Now, as, what was it like working with, you know, because obviously you deal with a lot of patients all ages, maybe mm-hmm. a lot of older mm-hmm. uh, patients. Uh, what was it like working with those elite athletes? I mean, in terms of as compared to maybe, you know, someone like me, an average mm-hmm. athlete. To be honest, it's actually very similar. I think, you know, you, 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 you get together in an interview type of thing. You set your goals. You say, this is what I want to achieve. This is the plan you put together. Is it safe? Is it not safe? That type of thing. It's kind of funny how, how you, you deal with that, that person, but then, you know, just like down here, you then start seeing their brothers and sisters, and then you start seeing you know extended family, and the next thing you know, you've got people flying in to see you, and and that type of thing, just for good advice. I mean, I think that's the that's the key thing. I think that no matter who, no matter you know who anyone you know has this type of discussion with, I think it's very important for people to have a good discussion with their physician, whether it's their family physician, their internist, or their cardiologist or pulmonologist, in terms of you know what type of things can I do. Now, if you are someone that is, it's maybe it's been forever since you've done anything and maybe you finally said you know I see a lot of people who say when I retire I'm gonna get in shape and you know it's like wow you got 10 years before that happens why why wait until then I'm working Um, but uh, but they you know but in those cases a lot of times things like you know rehab is actually a good option you know we have cardiac rehab for people who get stents and bypass surgery and that type of thing and that's wonderful for them because they're monitored while they're exercising so that way if they have an arrhythmia or if their blood pressure drops they're able to see that right then in real time what do you think is like you know from the patients that you've seen over the the decades um, what is the motivation or what's what is uh, um, you, know, you talk about work being mm-hmm. and, and busy life you know mm-hmm. what um, you know, what is stopping people from going to work out getting mm-hmm. in shape eating healthier foods I mean those are difficult things at times yeah well there's two things there one is is time and it's the perception of time and so I read a fitness book about 25 years ago I don't remember the name of the book I don't remember the author I don't remember anything about the book except for one line and it was the one line that stuck with me it was no one has time to exercise. You have to make time. And so when I, when I and, and you know, my mom used to always say, tomorrow's just an excuse away, right? I can, I can make up an excuse for any reason why I can't do something until tomorrow. And then, uh, but, but, but with that said, I think the key thing is we make time for the stuff that we want to do, right? We make time for that television show. We make time to go to the Georgia game or the Auburn game. We make time to, to do things that we enjoy. But we should make time for exercise. And, and I'm, I've had to learn that myself. And there was a time where uh, uh, I was working out hard over there at the club and then I, I got tennis elbow. And I was telling my dad about it. He said, it'll get better in about nine months. And I was like, what? You're crazy. And you know what? He wasn't far off. 
He's not a physician at all, but he's, he, he knew from personal experience. He wasn't far off. It took a long time for that tennis elbow to get better. And would you, the hardest thing for me to get back into the gym was just crossing the threshold. I don't know what it was. It's, a, it's like almost like a mental block. It wasn't your habit anymore. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, and I think if you do, if, especially with exercise, if you get into it and you start doing it enough, you start realizing how much of a stress relief it is. I mean, it's, it's really as good, if not better. I mean, and again, I mean, I'm a big believer in meditation. You know, I'm a big believer in faith and prayer is a great form of meditation. Uh, box breathing, I, I, I discuss a lot about that with people but exercise is probably one of the greatest things in terms of stress relief that you can do you just have to make time and you have to find what works for you and I think that's the key thing you know there's we have a patient local patient here in town who, who obviously I won't name but but he's got the worst back I've ever seen in my life I mean this guy has got a back that it'd make anybody at Houston Clinic go man that's terrible but he has found a way and you would never think this guy could ever exercise but he has found a way between swimming and a certain amount of walking and a certain amount of bicycling he stays incredibly fit just because he's figured out what works for him. Yeah, you got to figure out your why. What mm -hmm. is it going to make you want to right. do it? You right. Know? I want to get back in a little bit to, to talking a little more about the, the heart and, mm -hmm. and, and looking for like, you know, uh, you or yourself or, or family member that the science look for, but just kind of what you were just talking mm -hmm. about, the mind-body connection. I know yes. that's something you're very uh, passionate about right. uh, because people think of them as two separate things. Okay, I got my brain, my mind, mm -hmm. and I got my body. And sometimes that you hear the, um, you know, uh, mind over matter and you right. hear different things about right. like your body may be screaming one thing, mm -hmm. but you can tell it to, you know, do something else, you know, if, if you're uh, maybe on a long race or something right. like that. So uh, tell us about, you know, because um, you deal with the medical aspect of it, right. is the mind's part of that, right? It really is. So so kind of the, 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 the greatest example of mind-body connection is something called broken heart syndrome. So my partner, Lon Whitstein and I, when we were at Hopkins, we coined the phrase broken heart syndrome. And that is... To be to be short, it's a the the effect of sudden emotional stress on the on the mind that has a direct effect on the heart hmm. to weaken the heart to, to to make you have heart failure to to make you go in the hospital with heart heart attack like symptoms. So that's the greatest extent. But then you also look at other things. If you ever talk to a group of Navy SEALs, the people who come in that are the largest guys that look like oh they're going to definitely pass, they're the ones that get cut first. It's the guys that it's the guys that have more this going on than 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 anything else that actually make it through SEAL training, and it's the ability to tread water for three hours. It's the ability to tell your mind, "Hey, body, you can do this," or "We're going to do this." It's like that last little that last little burst. You know, these people who do marathons or, 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 or cross country races, and and they get to that time where they're like, "Oh man, I feel so feel so terrible," but I've only got I can see the finish line, and they pull it from within to just really. Make, the, make it happen. And so there really is that mind-body connection and your body will listen to your mind, you know, sometimes against you know, your better judgment, but, but, it, will, but it will. And, and you have to have the right mindset. And it's kind of like the old, the old um, um, Asian proverb, you know, the guy who says he can't do something and the guy who says he can do something, they're both right. Yeah. And so you really have to have the, you know, the mind does, does control the body in every aspect. Consciously and subconsciously. And is there is there something you know medical or, or uh, physiological, psychological about that that where people can like there's a, a secret sauce to get there? Yeah. Well, I'm a big believer in mindfulness. I think I think there's a lot to mindfulness. There's a lot to there's a lot to. Well, for those who I'm mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt, what is mindfulness for those who maybe uh, they right. hear that term and they're like, man, that seems so. Uh, foreign to right. me. So mindfulness is really kind of at its crux. It's about really having 
having better control over the mind and, and having a, a, a kind of like we talk about a relationship with God. You know, we talk about you, you develop that relationship over time. Same type of thing with your brain. And, and so you have, you have the ability, as I said before, there's this, this thing called box breathing, which was developed by the Navy SEALs. And it's very simple. You can get an app for your phone. You breathe in for a certain number of seconds. You hold it for the same number. You breathe out for the same number. And you hold it for the same number. It's a box. It's a box. So it's in, hold, out, hold, in, hold. And you can adjust how many seconds you do. I'm up to 10 seconds a time. So I do. That's what I do. And I'll do that five times a day. Like when I pulled into the parking lot today, I had, had a couple of minutes. I just did it for two minutes. And it's so wonderful because I can almost just envision when I do that and focus on when your, when your lungs are full and when they're empty. I just envision the stress just leaving my body and just falling out on the full floorboard. And so that's part of mindfulness. Meditation is also part of mindfulness. Um, one of the best meditation books ever written, believe it or not, was written by Russell Simmons, the guy who started Def Jam Records. Yes, right. And it's called Success Through Stillness. And it's a $5 for Kindle on Amazon. I think it's like $8 paperback. It's an afternoon read. He simplifies meditation so much. And it's just, and, and, and again, part of it is, is, is key. and when you train your brain in this manner, you essentially are able to keep calm under pressure, right? And that's really, and what, what more pressure is there than when your body is saying, hey, I just really want to quit and swing over here and get a cheeseburger, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or hey, instead of, doing, instead of doing two miles, I'm going to do a half a mile and call it a day, you know, that kind of thing. So, so I think that's really what, mind, to me, that's more what mindfulness is, especially as it relates to amateur sports and professional sports for that matter. I mean, you know, you look, a huge number of the professional teams are doing, doing uh, a meditation exercises, and that type of thing, you know. If you remember the old stories about uh, about Lin Swan doing ballet, you know, doing ballet, and things like that, that's also actually a part of mindfulness. And and uh, and but it, but it is it's training the brain so that when there is the perception of panic in the body, the brain says, whoa whoa whoa, pump the brakes. We're doing fine. You just keep going. And that's that's really where where the mindfulness comes in. And I think that's why you know that's why I do think that that you're seeing a lot more college athletes, a lot more pro athletes, a lot more you know kind of professional athletes, no matter what the field, they're really getting into the more mindfulness side. I mean, think about how many people who who are who are sports psychologists now. I mean, golf is a great example. I mean, you know, Bobby Jones even said the the hardest five inches is between the ears, and and, 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 and that really is true. Yeah. That really is true because you've got such honed athletes that have the swing down to, to a science, and yet all it takes is some one little glitch in the brain to just ruin an entire round. Yeah, you get the positive thoughts, negative yes. thoughts. What do you listen to? Exactly. Um, and in terms of from a medical perspective, mm -hmm. you know that mindfulness and kind of breathing mm -hmm. and trying to reduce the stress. What does that do to your body, your heart, in terms of trying to relax things or give you, I guess, maybe you're, you're healthier that way. Right. No, absolutely. I, and I think, I think the key thing there, to your point, is, is panic doesn't do anybody any good, right? You know, panic is, 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 is essentially emotion gone awry. And so really what that mindfulness is doing is, is it keeps everything at bay. And you want to have a good heart rate. You want it to go fast, you know, to pump blood to where it needs to be. But too much is a bad thing. And so, you know, you can imagine that if you're running and you're, you need a heart rate of 125 to kind of keep at your current pace and that type of thing. Well, if you start having a panic attack and you start going now to 180, 190, well, now you're getting to a point where the heart doesn't have enough time to fill. And so that's when you start having real true detrimental effects of, of fast heart rate on, on what you're trying to do. So you're actually having a deleterious effect and not able to accomplish your goal.
Yeah, I, I know that um, when I had, um, when I was early on in kind of my running career, you know, eight, nine years ago, I got IT band syndrome. Yes. And uh, so it just feels like somebody's stabbing you on the outside of the knee. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, just run through it. Well, that's no, it's just like the, you said tennis up, you just got to, uh, you know, kind of sit it out right. and relax and, and let it uh, heal. And uh, I learned through uh, that yoga was very beneficial. Absolutely. Once a week, go into a yoga class. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a lot of hum, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, kind of, you know, and just kind of looking inside of myself but no there's pilates versions mm-hmm. where it's actually exercise and it's uh, you're you're building your flexibility but you're also building kind of like you know the stillness absolutely it's, it's standing like a tree right mm-hmm. yeah well and, th- and again that's and that is yet another form of meditation and so but it's meditation with stretching is and i'm a huge believer in stretching i'm a huge believer in flexibility i mean that's one of the first things that we lose as we age is flexibility and you hear about people you know you see people kind of try to lean over to pick up a shoe or something there's a, you know, like, wow, it's a whole lot of groaning to, to, to just pick something up. Whereas, you know, not too long ago, you could put both your, your palms on your, on your, on the ground just by standing. So, uh, and bending over, but yeah, so, so definitely. And, and again, all of that goes back to that mind body connection, Tai Chi, you know, all of these things are, are, and, and again, the beauty of it is you find what you like and what you do and, and, and then you just kind of run with it. Yeah. And, you know, you were talking earlier about how, you know, exercise, you know, that with the, I think with the mice, you were saying it lengthened their life or mm-hmm. it showed that the mm-hmm. ones that the exercise lived longer. Mm-hmm. And so I know that uh, you have a passion for, you know, healthy aging. Yes. I, I'm not sure. Do, so a lot of the patients you deal with, are they, um, you know, a little older or? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I would say, that, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing kind of the spectrum. I see pretty much anybody from 16, 17 years of age all the way to nonagenarians and those who are 103 and, and still getting their echoes and, sure. and that type of thing and you know if you if you if you kind of if you if you look at the people that that make it to the late 80s and the 90s and you know we always hear well my grandmother lived in 99 and, and that kind of thing I said yeah your grandmother lived a little differently the way is, you is live genetics too. Yeah. yeah and I think there is I think to some degree there is some genetic component but I do think that what you see in these people who really actually age health with health in their 90s they're the ones that have an active exercise program they're the ones that actually have done that for a very long period of time you know those are the people that that, that do have a good mind-body connection they they eat you know they eat well and, the, and those kind of things um, but but yeah I mean they're, they're the ones that still have a good exercise program and uh, you know if you if you think about it you know you really whenever you whenever you watch Willard Willard Scott on uh, on uh, on uh, NBC weather you know the weather when he'd have the ladies on the smoker the people on the smokers jar yeah None of them were three hundred pounds. No. You know, I mean, they, they, so 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 you you and, and one of my former clinical mentors says, Hunter, you see very old, smaller people. He says you don't really see very old, you know, obese people. Yeah. And and I and that's a, and that's a very good point. And I kind of try to you know educate my patients on that. And again, we celebrate the process. And everybody kind of has a, a little bit of their own body type. And and I think the key thing there too is 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 finding what you can work with within your own. Regimen, because whenever we talk about exercise with patients, you know, I see people. I already see it. They're like, "Oh, I got that back. I got that knee." Excuses, yeah. You know, I got that. And again, tomorrow's just an excuse away, right? (laughs) And so, um, and so, then I said, "Listen, I said, swimming is a great opportunity. You know, if you walk in the shallow end of a pool, it takes all the pressure off the joints." And walking in the shallow end of the pool for ten minutes—that's walking a mile on dry land. And if what happens if you fall? 
Whoosh. I mean, you, so you can get right back up. So it's uh, you know got to find what works for you, and yeah. I think I think that's the key thing. Yeah, because there's there's something for everyone out there. Right. And uh, what would you tell people in terms of you know I'm sure you deal with a lot of patients. There's a, a, a variant uh, you know kind of attitudes about this, but some people say, well, hey, listen, this is my one life. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> right. I'm gonna hey, listen, if I'm 300 pounds or whatever, I right. listen, this is I'm gonna just enjoy life. And other people are like, well. You know, I want to live a long time. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you hear a lot of those different things. Right. Well, and I, and I think the key thing there is just kind of like business. You can't say, I'm going to spend every bit of money I make and I'm not going to invest anything in my business, but I want my business to be successful. Right. So life is about give and take. And and I think, though, that the, and there is you're exactly right. There is that YOLO mentality that you only live once mentality. And, and to some extent, I mean, I do have patients that I say, you know, I just love pizza, and I and, and and when they've got heart failure and when sodium's an issue for them, and I guess I said, well, you know, to be perfectly honest, you're going to love it to death, and 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 that kind of thing, and so you know. Um, but but I will also say for the record as well, this happens a lot as far as cholesterol goes, right? You know, we'll have people that will become militant vegan. I mean, they will they're not eating anything that's animal made or whatever, and their cholesterol is just as bad as it was, and that's because ninety five percent of our cholesterol numbers are dependent on our genetics, and so no matter what you do in those cases, you're still going to have a high cholesterol. And does that mean go out and you know do whatever you want in that regard? No, but it just means that that you know. Um, you set a goal. If your goal is to live to 100, I can tell you, you can't just eat pizza and hamburgers all day long and, 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 and sit around all day long. <laughs> you know, if your goal is to do that and to do it in a way where you, where you hopefully have, don't have dementia or things like that, you know, you have to, you have to plan ahead. Yeah, and to that point, you were saying, you know, uh, knowing your history—that's such a vital thing. Mm-hmm. And and maybe you know, as as a doctor or mm-hmm. somebody you see might have some of that history. But uh, what what's the some of the tools to be able to kind of know? Okay, my my great grandmother did this, or my father did this, mm-hmm. or you know, because uh, some people may not even like be aware that like there's some cholesterol issues. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things we one of the problems that we have is anybody that died suddenly before nineteen. 19- 60 or 65, it was always a heart attack. You know, just we didn't really have any technology to know really what it was that actually uh, uh, killed them. Um, I think it is important to know your history. You know, and a, a great example, I have a, an ultra marathon runner. This is a guy that runs 75 miles at a clip. And he came to me when I was at Hopkins and, and said, hey, you know, if you tell me there's nothing wrong with my heart, then I'll just forget about it. He says, but, you know, um, he said, I've been to Mayo Clinic, I've been to Harvard, I've been to Brigham and Women's, which is one of the big heart, heart hospitals in the world at Harvard. And I said, uh, well, what did they say? What did, they, what did the test show? He said, they didn't test me. They said, if I was hitting the wall at 55 miles, then I've got nothing wrong with me. And I said, well, you know, I think you understand your body better than anyone. And so we put the guy on a treadmill and this guy broke every record. I mean, all the nurses were mad at me. All the fellows were mad at me because it was like lunchtime at Hopkins. You know, we're sitting there and, and I even went and got the guy heavy weights. So he's running with weights. It kind of looked like that scene of Ivan Drago in Rocky IV where he's got that machine <laughs> and he's doing like this. But finally, finally he said, that's it. That's what I feel. And I went and looked at his EKG. Every one of his EKG leads went boom. That was at noon. By two o'clock, he was in the catheterization lab. He had a 99% left main lesion, which is worse than the Widowmaker. The Widowmaker comes off the left main. The left main serves more real estate than just the Widowmaker. By four o'clock, he was getting bypass surgery. And so, and, and, and to that end, I think part of the issue there is he was so well conditioned that despite having that incredible drop off in blood flow when he started getting to peak, it took him 55 miles to actually get to a point where that meant something. 
And so, and, 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 I, and I said, well, what are there? He said, well, they, they didn't give me any tests. And I said, well, I feel better testing you. And sure enough, we found something that was very important. So I think that's also really important to remember too. Not everyone feels like Fred Sanford. You know, Elizabeth, I'm coming to see you, honey. You know, that type of thing. It could be something as simple as, I normally can walk three miles without any trouble. I'm finding that at two and three quarter, I'm having to stop and sit. And kind of classic symptoms of coronary disease are, I do a certain amount of exercise, I feel shortness of breath, tiredness, fatigue, chest pain, chest pressure, tightness. I stop and rest and over time it gets better. And as time goes on, if you don't see somebody soon, you start noticing that it starts happening sooner and sooner and it takes longer to get better. And so that's a classic story for a, a blockage that's continuing to get worse. And is that uh, something, you know, heart failure, like, you know, um, when you're not uh, at Johns Hopkins mm -hmm. or not mm -hmm. at a, uh, a doctor's office? Mm -hmm. um, and it could be you're just walking around your kitchen. could be that mm -hmm. you're uh, running faster or long and slow. It could be, you know, that you're at work. You know, mm -hmm. is there something that, um, you know, where you can catch something before it's too late, before you kind of end up in surgery? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's two things there. One is, is, is... You know, if you've got a strong family history, it just makes sense to just be evaluated. You know, the best two best things we can do long term, you know, in terms of trying to prevent heart attack and stroke are things like staying fit, exercise, and that type of thing, keeping your cholesterol under good control, and keep your blood pressure under good control. Um, we've got fantastic screening tools that are actually available to us here in Columbus. Um, one of the things that we do is a calcium score. It's a simple, very quick CT scan, takes less than five minutes, and what it's doing is it's looking to see if there's any calcium in or around the coronary arteries. Now, not all calcium is in the artery, so it can be outside the artery and not causing any blood flow problems, but it at least piques our interest and says, hey, maybe we should do a stress test. Maybe we should look down, the, look a little further to see if something is in fact going on. And if you can catch something before you actually have a heart attack, you're always better off. The one statistic that hasn't changed in cardiology in 150 years, 30% of people have a heart attack, never make it to the hospital. Mm. So 30%. And we hear about that all the time, right? People dying in their sleep, people dying on the treadmill, you know, that type they of thing. They never wake up. They never wake up. And so, so, so that's kind of the... Now, if you make it to the hospital alive, you've got a much better chance of leaving than you used to. But, you know, that's why I think prevention is really important. And that's why I think, you know, you know screening, those types of things to really be able to, to get an idea in terms of, hey, you know, is there something we should be concerned about? Is there, are we, do we feel confident about where we are? That's why I think, you know, it makes sense for any time that someone wants to go in and start start training for a program or doing something, you know, pretty strenuous, they should consult their physician, whether it's their family doctor or their internist. And, you know, if somebody, like, you know, there's one thing where you've got people that are just not motivated to exercise. Mm -hmm. And then you've got maybe the other uh, group of people that are very motivated to exercise. And they could be, you know, uh, 25 years old. They could be 75 years old. Right. They love to run. Yes. They love to go out there and play tennis or pickleball yes, now is, absolutely. The, is the big thing right. you know, that's been growing. Or golf, you mm -hmm. know, um, and uh, which, uh, unless you're walking, is not as much exercise if you use the golf right. cart. Right. Um, so um, for those that are motivated to exercise mm -hmm. and people maybe that'll listen to this podcast now and they say, well, hey, listen, I get plenty of exercise. Mm -hmm. My concern is when do I know, you know, I'm pushing because there's that old story about like I'm a runner myself. Mm -hmm. 
the the original marathon in Greece. The guy was running to go tell somebody something. He ended up 26.2 miles, 42 kilometers, and he collapsed and died. Is the how's the story goes? Right. So it's scary for maybe some of us or maybe our family members when mm-hmm. they hear that you know, okay, um, yeah, I'm going to go run a, a 20 mile race or a 50 mile race, something mm-hmm. like that. So what would you tell you know the family members and the athletes about um, you know? Uh, that uh, that extreme exercise how it helps or hurts your heart yeah well I think at the end of the day it by far is more help than hurts <laughs> I think that's the key thing now obviously if you've got a predisposed problem where you've got blockage then you become a supply demand issue and and then you, then it can be deleterious certainly I mean certainly I think no one advocates hey I signed up for a marathon I'm just gonna go in cold and, and go run that no right? training. <laughs> exactly no training you have to train for it and so so I think that's really where it comes in is training and and the key thing though is really listening to your body and knowing your body I mean you know we, we can we can ignore anything obviously but but I think just kind of knowing and recognizing hey I'm feeling something a little bit different now than I did that I, I was feeling say last year when I was running the same amount um, I'm not getting to where I need I'm not my, I'm not meeting my goals like I normally would or or if, where I've seen it a lot has been someone who's trained for a marathon they trained for one maybe three or four years ago and they're back in a train and say hey I want to do it again and now they're saying you know yeah I know I'm three four years older but I really shouldn't be where I am now in terms of you know my inability to get where I where I want to get as far as training that'd be a good reason to come in and be seen you know those types of things again and it doesn't have to be that's why women actually get the worst cardiac care in the world is because their symptoms are not like what we classically think like you no know, Elizabeth I'm coming to see you honey right. you know sudden chest pain and that type of thing really with women it's more shortness of breath it's fatigue it's it's uh, in some cases it's things that you can rationalize is it GI related you know my mom and dad came in town for the Auburn Georgia game uh, uh, a couple years ago and my dad complained about a little bit of chest discomfort and my mom starts getting all upset which hospital we can go to I pulled out a bottle of Gaviscon from the refrigerator I said here drink this Y'all, you're not going to ruin this weekend <laughs> and and sure enough, he drank because the Gaviscon was in the refrigerator. It's like Maalox or Mylanta. It was liquid because it's cold and liquid. It coats the esophagus and the stomach. Huh. So that way, if it, and it knocked it out in forty five seconds. I said, now let's go get in the car. Let's go tailgate. Bring the Gaviscon with you. It's, it's a quick said, quick trick. Well, and, and, and I'm a big believer in that, especially for people who have GI issues and who have heart issues. I mean, a bottle of Maalox can be a very very good decision point for you. You know, if you if it and like I said, the coldness is really seems to help it more than anything. But if you do that or Tums, if that knocks out that chest discomfort, because if you think about it, the esophagus touches the back of the heart, and it's you don't have to have true like heartburn type symptoms. If that esophagus feels stomach acid and it spasms. For all intents and purposes, it feels like a heart attack. Yeah, wow. And so, so that's why I'm, I, li- I like kind of having that as a branch point there. But I think getting back to your point, though, I think you know people who want to get involved, people who want to start exercising, you know, ease into it. You know, one of the things I tell people all the time: the worst thing you can have happen if you go into the gym is get injured early. Right, you go in and you start. You, know, you pull something, or or a classic story. You got a guy that comes in and he wants to show his teenage sons that how much he can bench. Right, I did that with my kids, and afterward I said, "This is crazy." I said, "You know, why would I? Why would I ever want to? You know, bench three twenty, you know, and and that kind of thing, just to show them." So now I don't bench anything more than two twenty five. I just do it more reps and, and that type of thing. So ease into it, lighter weights, more reps, vary it up a little bit. Be sure to stretch before you do it. Um, those types of things. Try to minimize your risk of injury. 
three, uh, and then just just get into it. And I'm also a big believer in varying your exercise. I think you know, if I, I'll do rowing machine one day. I'll go out for a walk, a good fast-paced walk with hills. Um, if you do walk, I'm a big believer in either doing kind of the hit type training where you either do a certain pace for a certain amount of time. You can do this on the treadmill, and then go all out for a wind sprint. You know, for a one-minute wind sprint, or you set it to 10 on the treadmill go for one minute. You're kind of shocking the body. Exactly, exactly. Muscle confusion and that type of thing. You know, when I first got on the treadmill, even as a trained physician, I did 30 minutes a day and, and I had a car wreck so I couldn't really do a whole lot because of dizziness so I couldn't really do much running on the treadmill so I was walking and um, I lost some weight, reached a plateau. I said, well, maybe I'm not doing it long enough. Hour. Finally, I got to an hour and a half a day on this thing, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? I even built a desk for my treadmill so I could do emails. I'm like, I'm spending so much time on this thing. I get more benefit from doing a, a, a hit interval by doing you know, three minutes at a decent pace, all out for one minute, three minutes, one minute, three minutes, one, 15 minutes. I get more, more, more cardiovascular benefit from that than I did from an hour and a half on the treadmill just at one single pace. That speed work, that hit. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it, I'm a big believer in that in terms of, you know, because the way I kind of tell patients is your body's kind of like a lazy teenager. It will only do what you make it do. And so, if you, so, it, will, so you, it will adapt and be like, oh, okay, this guy will walk for one mile a day at this pace on the track, um, but uh, but you don't want it to do that because it'll only adapt its and, and modify its, its the muscle and that type of thing to achieve that. What you have to do is you have to get it to say, whoa, 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 what's this guy doing now? You know, we better build up some muscle strength and some endurance because he's 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 messing with us now. You see, and so we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so we better build our strength now. Yeah, and if you're like a lazy 60-year-old who hasn't played basketball in 10 years right. or something, and right. you go out there and try to play uh, pickup with your you know, lazy teenager, uh, you might have some problems there as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a good friend in Baltimore. He, he, he gets out of his car in his, in his suit, and his son's shooting baskets. He said, hey, son, you know, feed me one. And he, he just a simple jump shot ruptured his Achilles. Oh, I mean, you know, it's just, it just, it, it, it really sucks getting older. It, you know, it, really, it really does. And, and, and I think that's what, but I, and I think that's actually one of the things that's really important to also impress upon everybody as well is, you know, we oftentimes, and men I think are especially um, bad about this. We see ourselves as how we were when we were 20 years old, you know, unless we have a reason not to see it that way. And so that's why, that's why I think there's so much depression with someone's first heart attack. You know, you go from being like, "Hey, I can, ca- you know, I can conquer the world. I've got everything ahead of me," to now being like, "Wow, I just flirted with death," and and that type of thing. And so, so that's why depression is a big part of that. But I do think that that you kind of have to recognize, "Hey, I'm not 20 years old anymore." That doesn't mean you can't do what you could do at 20. It just means you better ease into it. Yeah, and there's the the, the uh, kind of the, you hear about the quote midlife crisis. Yeah. And I started running in my late 30s and ran my first marathon at 40, and right. so now I'm kind of approaching 50. And there's one guy that I run with almost every week um, who's in his early 70s, mm-hmm. and he runs every single day. He has for like years, mm-hmm. and he's consistent with it. And and both of him and I are kind of our our mindset is a. 80%, 85% of our miles that we run are just easy pace. I mean, I mean we're, we're running, but it's, you know, kind of a conversational pace. And we're being able to kind of sustain that. So what about, you know, the, the fear that some people like, okay, they come to see you mm-hmm. at Southeast Cardiology, and uh, they're, they're worried that, like, something's wrong with me health-wise where I'm, they're going to tell me that I can't run anymore or I can't play golf anymore or I can't play racquetball anymore. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you guys have those discussions? You know, it's, it's actually really interesting. I don't think I've ever told anybody, with the exception of competitive, and that's one of the hardest things in the world to ever have to do, is to tell 
a kid who came from from very little his only opportunity to study is by scholarship for football and you find out that he has a cardiomyopathy and he can't play probably the worst discussion I've ever had to have in my life and unfortunately I've had to have that conversation with a number of kids um, but I will tell you I think at the end of the day I've never told anybody that they can't do anything I mean you know again I, I generally say I said listen you want to do it you'll find a way to do it great example I I'd been on four safaris in Africa, never came back with more than a scratch. I go to Cape Town to give a lecture, fall down the stairs in my, in my hotel room, break my shoulder, fly 27 hours with a broken shoulder back to the States, um, go get an MRI, get some decent pain medicine. The next day I signed, redid, redid my will and trust and everything, then the next day I'm in surgery. And so, um, and, and so the, my point though is, is, is um, I had a chance to play Olympic, the late course at Olympic, you know, where they held the U.S. Open um, in San Francisco and the San Francisco Golf Club. Well, my surgeon said, you can't swing anything longer than a four iron, than a seven iron. So I said, well, okay. So I played Olympic as a par three course, and it was probably one of the most fun days, that in San Francisco Golf Club, which is an old Tilling-ass course. I said, that's probably the most, most fun round of golf, because I never had to deal with where my driver went. No pressure. Exactly, yeah. no pressure. Um, so I think the key thing there is, is and, and I have guys that come in all the time that you know, they say, hey, I want to get back into golf. I said, okay, yeah, you just had rot- rotator cuff surgery. Why don't you ease, start putting? Then go to chipping, then go to you know just some easy wedges and, and things like that. And so, I'm a big believer in you should be able to try to do now maybe modified. You may not be competitive. You may not win. You may not get your name on the club. You know on the course. You know the club <laughs> championship. Right. You know, but there's no reason why people shouldn't be able to do for the most part what they want to do. Now we do see a lot of you know people who come back with bad knees and it's bone on bone and that kind of thing. And so, you know, for those guys, they, they may need to start going to something that may be a little more fluid. You know, like I said, like the rowing machine or, or, the, or the bike. And I've had a lot of, of, of you know, long-time marathon runners who are now doing recumbent bicycle and, uh, and go down to Fort Benning and do that. So they've got a whole group of guys that do this cycling and, and everything. And so, so I think the key thing there is, I don't think I've really told anybody that they can't do something. I just tell them they can't do it like you used to. And, I, and, and, and yes, sometimes that can be a little heartbreaking for people, but at the same time, I mean, where there's a will, there's a way. And, um, and so you just gotta, gotta figure out the way. Fun, that's the, key the, thing. the modified version yes, exactly. of, of what you did sure. when you were 30 years right. old or something like that. Absolutely. Um, and I wanted to kind of close out our conversation talking a little more about like the, that mind-body connection mm-hmm. you were talking about mm-hmm. and some of the mood benefits. And you mentioned faith, you know, and, and, and meditation and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how is, the, you know, the, you know, sometimes people don't, don't think about the spiritual and the physical or the, uh, you know, uh, the, the kind of the, what you believe in faith-wise, how that affects your heart and your body. Is there a, like a, a research about the connections? There really is. I mean, you know, certainly we have we have re- decent research about uh, about prayer and the power of prayer and people who have people who pray with them and and that type of thing. People who have, who engage in prayer groups, they they do better. They're all, all, you know a lot of their their mental health scores are better. Um, physically, they can also be better. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot of people who who I think a lot of and I never write anybody off. I mean, you know, I will say that when someone needs hospice, then they usually need hospice. But at the same time, you know, if there's a chance, if there's a good chance for improvement, you know, but just going to take some work, 
you know, I, I bring in the, the prayer warriors and, and everything like that. And so there is that mind-body connection. And I do believe that that, that is, you know, we, all, we always used to joke, they, they used to call me Simon Peter in football because remember Simon Peter, was he took off running and he was the last to get there uh, at the tomb. And so... Um, so, uh, so you're the last to get there. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was hands of glue, feet of lead. I, I could catch any ball. If, if my fingertips touched, I could catch it. But my, my runs, my yards after reception was zero. You weren't Forrest Gump. Exa- no, exactly. I was, I was not... <laughs> I was not a runner, but I but I had got hands of glue, but um, but no, but I think I think the key thing there though is is faith does play a big role in it, and I think you know it plays a big role, and it, it also plays a big role I think in terms of motivation. So, you know, I feel like families who go to church together, families who who pray together, families who eat dinner together, who pray. I mean, one of the things that we do at our family dinner every night is we go around the table and we talk about what we're grateful for. You know, what were we grateful for today? And and, and that type of thing. And, and, and that really has just done so much for us. And I think it gives you a whole nother level of, of the reason for the exercise or the reason for staying healthy. You know, we talked about that. Everybody's got a different motivation. You know, new girlfriend, new boyfriend, uh, 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 you know, uh, just, uh, you know, I felt one of my dad's colleagues, um, he was significantly overweight. He fell in a grocery store and physically could not get up. Wow. And he realized, he said, if I don't do something about this weight now, I'm never going to, you know, I'm, I'm, this is going to be bad. You never know what somebody's wake-up call is. That, that's, exa- that's exactly right. And, and everybody does have that wake-up call. But I do think, though, and I, always, I say this all the time, I said, I'll tell patients, you know, a lot, I'll say, hey, you know, this is your alarm clock going off. This is your wake-up call. And either you're going to hit the snooze button and roll over and go back to sleep or you can get your get your butt up and get going. And so so everybody has a wake up call I think that you hope that it never gets to the alarm stage, right? But um, but no, but I think you know getting back to your point though, I think faith is really a big important important part of that. And and we always talk about healthy mind, healthy healthy spirit and healthy body. And you know we want to serve God as best we can and I think we need to do that both physically, you know, it doesn't do you any good if 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 the will is there but you're not physically able to go help those people that you need to help. Yeah, and a lot of time the wake up call involves like I want to be around for my family. Absolutely. You know, as as the as the mom, as the dad, mm-hmm. as the husband, as the wife, mm-hmm. you want to be around. You right. don't you don't want to like you know be selfish and just eat what you want and mm-hmm. sit around and then you know you die at fifty five or right. something. You know you want to want to be around and you have you guys have three kids. Is that we right? We have three. Right. And so you have a, just like me, you have a sophomore at University of Georgia. Correct. Right? Callaway. Callaway is pre vet and she loves it. She had the highest grade in chemistry of the whole school last year. And she's doing organic chemistry now. My oldest son graduated from Auburn in finance last year. He's got a great job with Truist up in Atlanta, so he's off my ledger. And then Spencer, <laughs> Spencer's 17. He's a junior at Brookstone and is a scratch golfer and and uh, and just kind of loving loving life as 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 a, as a 17 year old should. So yeah, so so two teenagers or mm-hmm. or or two like right there on right. the edge, you know. And so that's a that's a, that's a busy life for sure. And, and uh, do you um, you know I know as a doctor, one last mm-hmm. thing. As a doctor, you know, um, I know that my dad was a pediatrician, actually, mm-hmm. and so I know doctors are busy. I mean, right. and it can be stressful, and it's it's a lot of hours, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so uh, how do you find that balance? You know, and finding time for your wife and your kids. Right. Well, I've been bad about that. I will I will admit. I mean, there was a time when I was getting my PhD, and and we were you know we were really you know, we were really heavy into research and, and everything like that. Um, I did not spend as much time with my family as I wanted to, and I and I and I think part of what we kind of get get sucked into is that concept of delayed gratification. 
glorification. I will sleep, you know, it's kind of, you know, I will sleep when I'm dead. That kind of thing is, you know, that mentality. Um, but really, you know, I think at some point we do have that wake up call. And I, and I realize, you know, hey, I need to be there. I need to be there for my family. And part of our, part of our impetus for moving was we did not want to move a kid in high school. And so we were either going to stay in, we were either going to move that year in Pittsburgh because my son was in eighth grade and we didn't want a kid to move in high school. That was the key thing. So it was either then or we move in 2025. And so I said, I said, no, let's, let's move. And we've been so happy down here. And it's been, and I, I feel down here, it's been so much more conducive, I think, to, to our family and, and to our family, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, going back to your point, though, is we have our own set of motivations and things like that. But it's also important for our family to help motivate us, too. You know, I tell my wife. Don't leave these can don't leave this candy in this building, you know, in this house. I said, I said, if, if that's there and I have a weak moment, I'm going to eat it. Yes, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> when so, I walk by, yeah. exactly. And, and and sometimes you know families don't want to upset other family members, and but but we, we we're all in this together. And I think it's just as important for for our families to be involved with our health as it is for us to be involved with our health and with their health. Yeah. And so it really does. It take takes everyone. And sometimes I. I'm, I'm the I'm, I have to be the bad guy and have to come in and tell everybody say hey listen, you know y'all got to get it together, type, <laughs> That's of, right. type of type of thing. <laughs> be the leader so, in that way. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not it's not a bad trip to be able to go see both of our kids and see University of Georgia football game and right. tailgating. That's kind of a, a fun way to see them as oh, well. Right? Absolutely, and it should be a great game. I mean Kentucky is good. They've got that tailback, and I mean it's it should hopefully be a good game. But uh, you know. Hopefully the, the right team wins. Yeah, exactly. But, um, it's scary. But yeah, it's, it'll, it'll be exciting. We always love just getting to Athens. Such a great city, and yeah. so we live with a great town. We love getting up there, and and uh, and it's good to just get away and, and be able to see them, and and you know, makes you feel like you're back in college again. You know, <laughs> That's right. I miss I miss college. I wish I could be like Rodney Dangerfield and back to school and go back and just audit all the classes and just. You know, have parties and stuff like that. Just kind of enjoy life. No, yeah. no, uh, get not no like responsibility. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget we were sitting around the table at the fraternity house uh, having lunch, and one of the guys said, "Man, how great would it be if we could just go take a couple years off and just focus on our bodies and have all the free time to do it?" And I looked at him and was like, "What do you think this is? You know, <laughs> you take four classes a week. You know, I said, I said, you know, what are you doing for the rest of the time? <laughs> That's so. right. Yeah. They think they're busy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, Doctor Champion, thank you so much for being generous with your time, no. and uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having. It's been been a wonderful time, and and we appreciate you. And at the game that Dr. Champion and I were both at, the University of Georgia did stay stay number one and stay undefeated as the football team defeated Kentucky in a blowout, 51-13. Electric atmosphere, my first night game at Sanford Stadium. I highly recommend it. Going to sporting events with your friends, your family, having a great time. It's uh, really a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So uh, I had a great conversation there with Dr. Champion and uh, learning all about uh, the heart and exercise and things to do to benefit you at, at all ages, really. It doesn't really matter. So just get moving somehow, but uh, make sure to know your family history, uh, know, uh, you know, um, you know the, the things to look out for, the red flags in terms of shortness of breath or dizziness, things that where you just feel different, you know, uh, make sure to to rest, recover, get that taken care of. See a doctor. Doesn't mean you're weak. It means that you um, you need help. You know, we all need help at some point in our lives, um, whether we're you know 25 years old or 85 years old. So uh, thanks again to uh, Dr. Champion. I appreciate that conversation. 
And uh, as we are coming out with this episode, yesterday, um, the, the day before this episode comes out, was World Mental Health Day, and I just wanted to point you to a couple of recent episodes I had last spring. Uh, number 159 was a, um, a former TV reporter that was a suicidal, somebody that worked here about a decade ago, but now is helping you tackle the mental game. So uh, check out that conversation with uh, Brandon Seho uh, from uh, several months ago here on the Run the Race podcast, which you can find on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Love you to to write a review there as well. And also, you uh, the episode before that, uh, 158, was about our daughters, a real personal one, our daughters' mental health battle and faith that pain has a purpose. So make sure to check out those episodes because when it comes to mental health, you know, it's so important to, to focus on it really every day, not just on special days on the calendar like this. Uh, make sure to uh, check on your friends. Uh, make sure to, you know, to be kind every day to people because you never know uh, what they're going through. So important. And uh, speaking of, of caring for others, uh, right now, um, as we speak, uh, a horrendous situation happening in the Middle East, uh, specifically in Israel. Uh, as Hamas attacked several days ago, uh, killing um, you know the death toll growing, hundreds of people, and now there's an all-out war happening where Israel may attack at any point. And the United States saying we stand with Israel. There's a lot of obviously religious uh, undertonings here. Uh, the focus on you know the relationship between the U.S. and Israel, and obviously talks a lot in the Bible about Israel and how when Jesus returns, he's not going to come to America to the United States. The Bible says he's going to plant his foot down on the Mount of Olives and go through the Eastern Gate. And the final battle. Is not going to be on U.S. soil, but it's going to be the Valley of Megiddo in Israel. That's the one of one of the places I visited when I went to Israel for the first and only time for myself for a week long tour about a decade ago. Just amazing to be there, walk the steps that Jesus walked. Um, but. It is an amazing place that we need to support. We need to support the Jewish people. We need to support Israel. And uh, the Word of God says in Zechariah 2 8, when you touch Israel, you touch the apple of God's eye. And then in Genesis 12 3, it says, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. We're commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's right there. Black and white in Psalm 122. So uh, that's what I'm going to do uh, right now. I'm going to pray for them and, and uh, pray for the, the mental health situation we have across the world as well. Dear God, uh, just uh, thank you for this uh, opportunity um, on this podcast platform to uh, to lift up your name and also to pray for those um, the Jewish people and pray for Israel specifically uh, under attack and uh, Lord God that the uh, the only democracy there in that part of the Middle East and Lord God just protect those people uh, give them wisdom know what to do pray for the families that have lost loved ones pray for the the um, the families of the Americans that have been killed those taken hostage Lord God the women and children that have been uh, uh, tortured and brutalized Lord God we pray that you will bring um, peace to that chaos Lord God that you will help um, those people there and uh, that as we as Americans, we give them the support. Pray for our soldiers that are on standby here in the U.S. to, to go over there and help with that situation. We pray for... Uh, you know, as we talk about mental health, pray for those that are, um, you know, considering suicide. Lord God, just be with them. Lord God, comfort them. Let them know that you love them. People around them love them so much. And Lord God, that they uh, make decisions. Lord, that 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 you are um, you are are a sovereign God who gives grace and mercy and love 
that we can all uh, wrap ourselves around. And we just thank you, Lord, for, for what you give us on a daily basis. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again so much for listening. Got a little serious there at the uh, end of this podcast. Talk As we talked today earlier with the doctor about heart health, and hopefully on the next episode, we're going to uh, have another great conversation related to faith or fitness. And uh, looking forward to that as well. And uh, thank you so much. And make sure to tell your friends about it. Use hashtag run the race as uh, we continue to talk about things. As this, the title of this podcast, if you didn't know, is related to a verse in Hebrew, Hebrews about running the race of, with perseverance uh, and, and, and finishing strong as at the end of this race is Jesus. Thank you so much again, everybody. Have a uh, great rest of the week.